when you became a Christian, did all your problems disappear? Did you now begin to lead a life of success? As it were, everything turned to gold just because you were a Christian? Well, of course, smiling. And obviously, you know that's not true. In many ways, the life of a Christian is not an easy one. You become a Christian, you're filled with joy, but those perhaps nearest you and dearest you don't understand. They don't share your enthusiasm. You become now a faithful, honest person. But it's not true that honesty always pays, is it? Often honesty gets you into trouble. Now, honesty is the right thing. But it's not the path to everybody patting you on the back. You can be mocked and abused by the world. As a Christian, the evil in the world, it troubles you, doesn't it? How can we uh, turn on the TV or look at the paper and not be oppressed by what's going on? Especially when we look at the suffering of other Christians. Well, nobody suffered more for the Lord Jesus Christ for being a Christian than Paul, the apostle. If you would read the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he has the most amazing list of sufferings. You just wonder, how could one man receive all this in a lifetime and continue joyfully serving the Lord. He says, for example, chapter 11, verse 24, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Once was enough to kill a person at times. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Do you remember? At Lystra? Left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. For a night and a day, I was adrift at sea. And it goes on and on. All in the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and the spread of the gospel. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And verse 8. We're going to look at two verses this evening, chapter 1, verse 9, and chapter 4, verse 14 of 2 Corinthians. But let's read from verse 8. Paul says to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8, For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Asia meaning the province of Asia around Ephesus. We don't actually know what this was. But this is what he writes about it. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. It was such a terrible situation that it looked to Paul like the end was just around the corner. 
there was no hope of escaping from uh, this uh, trouble. Verse 9. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Now you see why I've chosen this, don't you? Nobody worked as hard as Paul the Apostle. Nobody suffered like Paul the Apostle. You put those two things together and they don't seem to fit, do they? Excessive suffering surely makes a man hold back on service. Surely we would say that giving yourself to service depends on being freed from such trials. But no, in Paul's case, those two things go together. So what was the secret? Of course, it's an open secret. What enabled him to work so hard and yet experience so much suffering? It was not an experience that he had. I want to emphasize that from this morning. The tendency today is I need an experience. Well, thank God for experiences. They're okay. But what we really need is the truth. And here, it's a particular truth. In the day of suffering, of course, an experience is not going to help you, is it? Because your feeling is down. What you need is truth to hold you up. So I'm going to use chapter 1, uh, verse 9 here, and just say two things to you. One is negative, and the other is positive. Negatively, don't put any hope in man. That's what verse 9 says. That was to make us rely not on ourselves. Why does God put Paul, you, me, through many afflictions, many difficulties, many trials? And this is the answer. This is one of the answers. God determines to wean you away from a spiritually harmful self-confidence. That is the danger of all of us, that we actually, in reality, trust in ourselves. And so God sends afflictions to us. This was a very real danger for Paul, who was obviously such a successful man and such an able man, who had received such privileges from God. This is not the only time we read such things in the Bible. In the time of the judges, you remember the story of Gideon, don't you, you children, uh, know that one? Where he raised an army to defeat the Midianites. There were 22,000. And God said, this is Judges 7-2, 
The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. So that's the danger. And so only 300 were used to defeat the Midianites. For the same reason, uh, God warned the people before entering into Canaan in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Moses is warning the people of the great danger when they come into the land that they forget God because God has blessed them. Verse uh, 12, they've eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And their herds and flocks are multiplied and their silver and gold is multiplied. And then they forget God he, who brought them, verse 14, out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. They forget God, verse 15, who led them through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents. Remember the bronze snake? And scorpions and thirsty ground where there's no water. And verse 16, who fed you in the wilderness with manna. But look at verse 16. That he might humble you and test you. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. That's the danger, isn't it? I did it. Trusting in myself. And so God brings trials. He brought these things on them through the wilderness to humble them, to test them. Then you remember poor Peter, don't you, in the Garden of Gethsemane? So full of confidence, even if everybody else forsakes you. I won't. I'll die with you, he says. And Jesus has to tell him that the spirit is willing, but the flesh <coughs> is weak. He had to learn in and of himself. He could do nothing. And I want to say to you, if you've never realized the danger, your danger of pride, of self-confidence, then you're in spiritual danger. You're actually in a dream world like Peter was. Because if you trust in yourself, you'll not only fail spiritually, but you'll bring dishonor to the Lord. My friends, you and I must understand that we don't have any power, any ability in ourselves to faithfully serve the Lord in any and every situation. Because actually you don't know what's going to happen this evening, do you? And that's why Peter fell. Whatever your life is like today, whatever struggles you're going through, whatever the future looks like it holds for you, you're required to love God with all your heart. Can you do that of your own strength? You're required to be faithful 
unto death. Again, we hear that's not very meaningful, is it? But to many Christians in this world, that's meaningful. But that's what God requires. And are we able to do that? You think if you were put in that situation, uh, deny Christ or I kill you, have you got the strength to that? I don't have it. And you don't have it. Doesn't matter what the situation is going to be, the misunderstanding, the justice denied, the abuse, the threatening. God wants us to be faithful to him. God demands that you do that practically, doesn't he? And so Paul is saying here, you, you receive these struggles to show you that these things are too big for you. You can't possibly cope by yourself. There's a couple of, if I may call them lovely, because they're so clear statements in the Psalms. There's Psalm 20. Listen to this. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. Then Psalm 33, something similar to that. Verse 16. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. The folly of putting hope in man. Now, my friends, unless you're convinced of this negative, then the rest of what the word of God has to say to you is not going to be sweet to you. But if this, you say, that is utterly true of me. I'm weakness itself. Then the positive will greatly encourage you this evening, which is my purpose. So, secondly then, put no hope in man, but hope in God alone. Again, back in 2 Corinthians 1.9, these situations where you despair of life itself is to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. To fight the battles against sin and against the evil one necessitate divine power. We don't fight against flesh and blood, do we? But against principalities and powers. We've got to stand with the armor of God. We've got to stand in his might. Otherwise, we cannot begin to fight the battle. God brings situations into our lives as his people so that we'll turn to him. Isn't what, that what he did in Judges? That's the whole cycle of history in Judges. They sinned. God brought them under an oppressor. Why did he do it? So that they would turn to him and cry to him for deliverance. Because only God has the power to overcome sin and the prince of evil. There's one thing especially that demonstrates that God 
is able to do that. And it's right here in our text. On God. Who is the God we rely on? He's the God who raises the dead. That's what makes him unique. The true God. The one in whom we can fully trust. We live in days when the human race has all sorts of powers to heal diseases that couldn't be healed before, to travel to planets that people could only dream of, to, to drive fast cars at, I don't know, 700 kilometers an hour. Uh, but death always marks the end of every endeavor. No matter how great, how seemingly long life is, everyone's life ends in death. And there's only one who has power over death. It's God who raises the dead. This then is the, the wonder of Easter Sunday, isn't it? The empty tomb, the, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, who raised himself up from the grave. He has power to take his life, just as he predicted he would do. So it's this God-giving life again, raising from the dead, that distinguishes God from lifeless idols, whether they be statues or any other thing that we make an idol of. You might remember how the Bible describes idols. They have eyes, but they can't see. <laughs> they have ears, but they can't hear. They have mouths, but they can't speak. Worthless, useless, folly. But God, really quoting from Psalm 115, our God is in the heavens. He's living. He does whatever he pleases. That's the God in whom we hope and in whom we trust. Uh, look at chapter 1, verse 9 of 2 Corinthians then. Remember the situation. Paul is in a, as far as he can see, and we don't know the details. So don't try to think of what they were, because we don't know. And that's a good thing, isn't it? Because if you knew the details, you'd say, ah, my situation's not like his. So it's general here. So if you're in a similar situation where it seems to you that uh, there's no future, then you're in Paul's situation. And Paul says, we rely upon God who raises the dead. That is, if God has as his character the description of him, the dead raiser. Then he can deliver me from a seemingly impossible situation. That was Paul's confidence. He saw if he was to be delivered. That deliverance was like a resurrection because he was as good as dead. 
that gave Paul the confidence to trust God for whatever the next affliction and trouble might be. He remains the God who raises the dead. Do you remember Abraham? Called upon to sacrifice his only beloved son, Isaac. What a test of faith that was for Abraham. It's recorded, commented on in Romans chapter 4. It's written, I have made you, that's Abraham, the father of many nations, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead. Amazingly, that was Abraham's hope. He had never witnessed a resurrection. One man had been translated to heaven, Enoch, but Abraham had no record in history of anybody who had been raised from the dead. Yet he said, if God wants me, this is Hebrews 11 now, if God wants me to sacrifice my son, you know, God's able to raise him from the dead. I mean, that's who God is. Then go to chapter 4 and verse 14, because Paul repeats this. <clears throat> From verse 7 of chapter 4, Paul again is cataloging his troubles. Look at verse 8. We're afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. <clears throat> Verse 11, for we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. In a sense, Paul's life was a living death, if I can put those two words together. You always saw a man marked by utter weakness. You never knew if he was just about to expire. That was his life. What gave him hope? Here it is, verse 14. Knowing. Note that. Not experiencing in the sense of feeling. But knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. God raised the Lord Jesus. Jesus is the first fruits. He's the pledge of the full harvest. If our Savior is raised, we are part of that harvest. We will certainly be raised with him on that great day of resurrection. Our resurrection is guaranteed because we are united with the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you're a believer, what Paul is saying is this. You can look back over these last 2,000 years since Jesus died and was raised, and you can be certain 
that what happened to him on the third day will happen to you. You can't be separated from him. And together with all other believers, you'll be brought into his presence. So you see, there are two things here. First of all, because God raises the dead, he can deliver you now, if he chooses to do so. There is no situation that you're in. I remember reading a story of the Reformation where a young man was tied to the stake and he was just about to be burned as the fire was lit when suddenly a messenger came from uh, the throne. <coughs> Queen has died. <laughs> and he was set free. God's able to do that, isn't he? If he so chooses. But what he certainly will do, he will raise us on the last day. I don't think that the future resurrection is nearly enough in our thoughts and our hope as it ought to be. It is the great assurance and hope of the New Testament believer. So do you really believe that Jesus rode on, rose on the third day? I'm asking you this question again this evening. Do you really believe those clothes were lying there folded? And that when the women and Peter and John looked in, it was empty because Jesus had risen from the dead? Do you really believe that? If so... It will colour your whole life and future. So, thirdly, let me give you uh, encouragements from the resurrection. Let me make it practical uh, as much as I can to you. <clears throat> let me ask you this question. What's the worst thing that could happen to you? Just think of the very worst experience you can have. Well, obviously, it's death, isn't it? Uh, we say, uh, really wrongly, while there's life, there's hope. And so death is the one thing people want to avoid. We could be killed through robbery. I mean, you're trying to think of bad things. You could be killed by an accident. Quite possible. You could be killed by terrorism. Or you could die through sickness, as many of us will. Or for famine. That's the worst, isn't it? In terms of our experience in this life. Jesus says, don't fear those who can kill the body. Don't fear them. That's all they can do. They can't kill the soul. They can't stop the resurrection from taking place. They can't rob you of eternal life. All they can do is take this fleeting life is filled with trials as well as joy away from you. God has the power to deliver you from anything in this life if he still has a purpose for you in this life. There's absolutely nothing that can intervene if God wants you to live. And he's got the power. However we've died. He's got the power to raise you up 
from the grave, just as he raised his son. So let me encourage you in three areas then. First of all, if this is true, may it be an encouragement that you'll never deny Christ. Don't live for the present like Demas, who loved this present world. If he died like that, it means he had no hope in the resurrection. Because if you deny Christ, you'll lose everything you've gained in this world and you'll lose your soul at the resurrection. So, are you afraid? Or do you freely own Christ to be your saviour amongst your relatives, your workplace, in your school? You've nothing to fear from people. You've everything to hope in God who raises the dead. What can people do if they decide to oppose you compared to the welcome that the Lord Jesus Christ will give you when he will say to you on that last day, when he raises you from the dead, well done, good and faithful servant. You never denied me. You were never ashamed of me. Welcome into the eternal kingdom prepared for you. And then secondly, let nothing hinder you from active Christian service. You do appreciate that the reason why you're opposed by relatives or so-called friends, they want to shut you up. Your words are, they say, offending them because they're getting at their conscience. Don't let anything hinder you from, from Christian service. As we've seen, opposition and trials never stopped Paul, even when he was in prison. And remember, he was in prison in Rome unjustly. There was a false accusation. And in Philippians 1.12, he says, don't you cry for me. This has been a wonderful experience for me in, in prison. You know, I've been able to witness to the, the elite troops of Caesar who have been guarding me. My imprisonment has served the advance of the gospel. So, there are those who are persecuted in various parts of the world. This is the message they have for us here in Britain. Don't pray that persecution will stop. And all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Just pray that we'll be faithful and that we will continue to serve the Lord, whatever our situation is. That's exactly what happened in the early church, didn't it? In Acts chapter 4, they're told, you stop preaching in the name of Jesus in the resurrection. So they went back to pray. They didn't say, oh God, please, will you remove the persecution? They said, please help us to be faithful and to continue to preach boldly the message that you've given to us. You remember that it's not in your own strength, 
but Christ lives in you with resurrection power. Whoever you are, the youngest Christian among you. So don't get discouraged, but keep on serving the Lord faithfully to the end because God is the one who raises the dead. And then lastly, let it be an encouragement to exercise faith in prayer because that's what Paul does in 2 Corinthians 1 verse 11. You also must help us by prayer. Confidence that God will deliver doesn't make us sit back. It's rather the opposite. When we are sure of what God can do and has promised to do, that's the greatest incentive to prayer. We can pray for God's deliverance, if not in this life, certainly, that we'll never be separated from him, but will finally be brought into his presence with those new bodies like Christ's glorious body. So I leave you and ask you, as we thought of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, as you thought of the promise of your own resurrection, does it give you encouragement in your situation of today, whatever it is, to keep on, keep going? Yes, you are utterly weak, as I am. But God raised the Lord Jesus. God is the one who raises the dead. He can intervene with resurrection power now. He certainly will in the last day. And if, my friend, it doesn't give you any encouragement, you say, well, those are nice words, but honestly, my problems are really big to me and I get no help from that. You better ask yourself whether you really believe in the resurrection or whether it's just a creed that you've learned from your youth. You see, faith is much more than accepting a certain doctrine is true. Faith is trust. Faith is living by what you believe. Faith is letting the truth that God raises the dead influence your life inside out. And it determines the way you live day by day. If Christ really rose from the dead, if he really died for your sins, and if you will rise in him as his promise, that I say to you, without any fear of contradiction, that's the most amazing thing in the world, isn't it? That's the great message of the gospel. And it's worth giving up everything for that. <laughs>